The following program is sponsored by Team Reba of Remax Metro East Side and Eric Osnes of Home Street Bank Home Mortgage. Welcome to Open House with Team Reba. Each week, Team Reba will be bringing you a roundup of real estate and mortgage news, along with information about the local Puget Sound region, highlighting some of the best and brightest entertainment options, family events, neighborhood highlights, and local business interviews, so you can feel right at home in the Pacific Northwest. Welcome to Open House with Team Reba. My name is Marissa Kleist, filling in for Reba this week for Remax Metro East Side. And I'm Eric Kostnis from Home Street Bank Home Mortgage. Welcome, everyone. Uh, welcome to Open House of Team Reba. So every Tuesday at 3 o'clock, we talk about real estate and finance information, just about anything else we can come up with. And a reminder, this is a live radio show. So if we have anybody that wants to call in with questions, you can reach us at 866-712-1300. Don't be shy about that either. You know, we get a lot of um, a few calls during the show, and we get a lot of calls after the show, which is always kind of interesting, and folks that are you know, chicken to talk with us on the air, maybe. Uh, but if you have a question, we're always happy to take that even off the air. And you can also tweet us at Team Reba or at Eric is my banker. So always happy to help with that. Exactly. So, so Marissa, what's going on in the with the real estate market? There's quite a bit. I'm interested to hear about those rates, though. After the election, I think a lot of people want to know what's going on. Oh, absolutely. We're gonna. I'm gonna jump right into that. Before we do, though, I want to welcome our guest today. We have Clark Dixon with us here today. Uh, Clark is uh, one of our, our top appraisers, appraiser manager for Home Street Bank. He's going to be talking about the appraisal process today. If you have questions for Clark too, you might want to queue him up right now. Call us at eight six six seven one two thirteen hundred. Welcome, Clark. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. Oh, super glad to have you here. Uh, Clark and I go way back to um, days at Washington Mutual, so I've got back in the day. I've got dirt on Clark. We're, so. we're excited for some stories there. That's right. <laughs> Good. So rates. So last week at this time, uh, we were right in the, the midst of the election, and, and our, our show was on kind of before the election results started coming in. Uh, the bond market, uh, which is what drives mortgage rates and interest rates, uh, uh, did not react so good to the election. It was a bit of a surprise, and I even talked um, last week about that, that the, the financial markets generally like status quo. They mm-hmm. like things to stay the same. So when there's change, and especially significant change, in this case, uh, we have both, um, you know, both the uh, executive and the the, um, the legislative branches are all in the, you know, the same party. Uh, That can that can sort of change the thinking. So so we got an initial knee jerk reaction um, with the bond markets, and uh, and it wasn't pretty. So we've we've had a a a very very sharp sell off uh, in bonds. Uh, that translates to higher interest rates. And uh, in the course of literally three trading days, uh, we've seen interest rates rise about three-eighths to one-half of a percent. So for the first time since uh, we've been doing this Team Reba, Open House with Team Reba <laughs> show, uh, we're seeing interest rates in the 4% range. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, it's, um, you know, the, the big question right now is, how long that's going to last, whether it's permanent or not, uh, there's there's thinking all over the all over the board on that. So some of the the uh, consensus thinking right now is that the the technical the technicals for bonds 
were, were ready to break open. They were looking for a reason to go with higher rates, and the election was simply the catalyst mm-hmm. uh, that, that caused that to happen. And, and so we've seen rates over the course of the last six months very ever so slowly come up just, just a little bit, not, not significantly. Um, but, uh, but we were still last week sitting around three and five eighths, three and three quarters for a 30 year fixed rate loan. And now we're sitting around 4%, possibly even a little bit, a little bit higher than that. With that said, today markets are a little more calm. Uh, the, uh, we're seeing a little bit of a rally in the bond markets, again, taking a little bit of that upward pressure off of the rates. And the uh, question, so today is, is that uh, just uh, the markets taking a breather, consolidating some of their, their trading positions, uh, or it was at the end of the run? Uh, this, this current run-up in rates was fast. It was hard. Um, it was, um, you know, in, in, um, in mortgage parlance, we're, we're comparing it to the taper tantrum of 2013. <laughs> and that was a point back when, uh, when the Federal Reserve said they were going to taper back, stop buying as many mortgage-backed securities, and in effect, artificially uh, keeping mortgage rates low. And uh, and so this one, this run up was just as just as hard, just as strong as that one. And it did take us a while to recover from that. Ultimately, we did. Um, but, uh, you know, time re- kind of remains to be seen right now. Uh, so, Marissa, yes. you're, you're refinancing your home. You're thinking about or you're thinking about it right now. Do you lock in your interest rate or do you just kind of hold back and see what happens? I think I'm a gambler. I think I'd hold back. I yeah? mean, do you have any advice for me? I, I don't know. You're going to gamble, huh? I think so. Clark, I mean, 4% seems pretty high. I'm conservative. Okay. Clark, <laughs> I'm Clark, locking. Clark's with me. I think I'm locking in too. Honestly, uh, we, we are advising right now, uh, you know, if, if you've been on the fence about, about refinancing, um, it would be safer to lock in your rate. Uh, check with your lender also on if they have what's called a float down option. So if you have a lender that has a float down option, a little commercial break, Home Street, we do. <laughs> um, but if you have a float down option, what that means is once you lock your rate, you're protected from rates rising on you. But if they do fall prior to closing, you may be able to take advantage of, of that drop in the rates. Now, we're bankers, so <laughs> we have rules. And there's all kinds of rules for this sort of a thing. And, and a float down is not necessarily free. Uh, but it is an option that's that's available. So definitely check with your lenders on that, you know, if that's a possibility. How long is the rate locks normally good for? Well, how long you want it for? Uh, so six months. You could do that, um, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a standard rate lock, uh, it'll vary a little bit from lender to lender, but it might be anywhere from 30 days to 60 days. They, they run in 15-day increments. And uh, a lender can lock out as far as a year, sometimes even longer than that. So if you're, for instance, buying a new construction, let's say you've got a new home, it's being built now, but it's not going to be done for six months, you can lock your rate in. And, and um, you know, many lenders, not all, but many lenders will have even a special rate lock program for circumstances like that uh, that do have a free float down. So you lock your rate now, I'm going to lock it for nine months or a year or a year and a half because I, my home's not built yet. Uh, if, if the rates uh, do go lower by the time the home is finished, you can, you can take advantage of that drop in the rates. That also applies, I mean, with the inventory still so low, I mean, it takes some people, I mean, six months to nine months to find a home. And if you, mm-hmm. I mean, if the rates increase like they did all of a sudden, your buying power definitely goes down. 
So it, it could be a little bit scary. It does. It does. Uh, now, the extended rate locks normally with most lenders do not work if you haven't found the home. Okay. So you got to be in contract. That's got the it. catch. Got it. So uh, there used to be in the market, there used to be a program called a lock and shop where you could lock a rate and, you know, you have like 60 days in to find right. a home. And then if you find the home, then you got that rate. Right. And I, I pretty much haven't seen those in the marketplace in, in, a, in a fair amount of time. I might be missing missing one, but I sure haven't seen seen that out there. That'd be kind of nice right I know, now. Well, it, it's, it's one of those programs that the, when rates are low and flat and stable, they're not doing anything, it just kind of fell off the radar for everyone. Now, all of a sudden, you know, we've, we've got a, a change in rates. It was sudden. It was drastic. And uh, so now people might start to be bringing those types of options back into the marketplace. One thing you know about rates, they're up like a rocket and they're <laughs> down like a feather. So ah. so it, it, they, they will go up pretty quickly. Uh, they definitely take their time, you know, coming coming back down. So we'll keep our eyes open and see what happens with okay. uh, with this. But uh, my fingers but, are still crossed for them to go down. So. Well, yeah, especially <laughs> you because you're you're gambling. You're yep, not locking exactly. in your rate. Yeah, so we'll so. see. We'll revisit this maybe six months and see what we got. <laughs> right, right. Well, how how is the market looking right now? Good, good. Um, we're still there. Are some seasonal slowdowns still expected um, after the election results? I mean, the uncertainty, the people kind of waiting it out, see how it goes. There's definitely still some of that going on. Um, but it hasn't completely transferred to the housing market. There's still a lot going on. Um, we don't expect inventory to increase like it's been down for quite, quite a while. Um, we still are at 1.8 months of supply total. And then King County is the lowest at 1.1 months. Um, Snohomish okay. County yep. inventory is also really low. We normally see a lot more um, listings going on up there, and we're down 20% from a year ago. Um, we don't expect inventory to increase until spring at the earliest. Um, and I would say, let's see. Not till spring. Oh, so what happened to... Um you know, people kind of bringing them on this this time of year, that sort of thing. So you're not seeing much of that happening right um, now. At we're all. definitely still getting listings. Um, there's still a lot of people out in the buying market, so we encourage people. A lot of people feel like their houses don't show as well in the winter, and with mm-hmm. the um, sure. less um, hours of daylight, it makes it a little bit more difficult to be out showing. You know, as soon as it hits five o'clock, it's you know oh, you don't it. know what the backyard looks like. The curb appeal is kind of yeah. gone. So it makes it a little bit more tricky, but people are definitely still out there shopping around. So if anybody was thinking about going on market, we we definitely encourage oh, we can them. Use them. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, definitely. no question. Yeah. <laughs> no no question about that. Yeah. Well, I know in the in the weather, of course, yeah, it's it's you know getting dark. Well, of course, that's why they invented happy hour. You know? <laughs> right. So got got to do something when it's five o'clock and it's dark out. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Uh, okay, so f- inventory is still kind of declining a little bit and not really um, uh, not really seeing a huge uptick in that. But ho- how's prices still uh, prices, strong? Yep, prices are still good. Um, home prices are up 14.6% on the year, up from four. They're at uh, 550 now. They were at 480 last year, and that's for single family, including condos. Is that King County? Um, yes, that's King County. So, so the average home. Say that again. Five hundred and fifty thousand. Yep. Is the average sale price for a home in King County? Yep. Up a hundred and ten thousand dollars from last year. Mm. Did you say four forty? No, four eighty. Oh, four eighty. <laughs> like, I'm that sorry. Math doesn't seem uh, right. okay, 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 okay. Okay, seventy thousand dollars higher. Got it. Got it. 
Wow. So here's another thing to go into the topic since we've got our guest here who is an appraiser. A thing we're running into is longer closing times. Um, We've spent a while getting um, more efficient that way. And then with the slowdown in appraisers, we're adding on another two to four weeks. So we'll jump back into that a little bit more when we talk with our guest. Oh, most most definitely. And, uh, you know, this is going to be our big topic. And and when we come back, we're almost up to, uh, to our break. And when we come back, we're going to have uh, Clark Dixon uh, tell us all about it. And, and Clark is uh, our expert appraiser, and uh, he's going to tell us, uh, you know, what's the delay? Why is my appraisal coming low? Call us if you got questions, 866-712-1300. We're going to be talking appraisals here on Open House with Team Reba. Stay tuned. If you'd like to call into the show, now's your chance. It's 866-712-1300. Now, back to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Marissa Kleiss of REMAX Metro Eastside. And I'm Eric Austin from Home Street Bank. And we're here today. We have a special guest with us, Clark Dixon from Home Street Bank. He's uh, one of the, the leads in our appraisal department. Welcome, Clark. Thank you, Eric. Glad to be here. Well, we're so glad to have you here. You know, uh, in, in lending and, and in real estate, you know, appraisers uh, pay a part, an integral uh, role in, in our business and and uh, sometimes we're praising them and sometimes you know we're cursing them and and uh, it's it's kind of funny about that I, I if you listen to some real estate agents appraisers have got to be the the dumbest people on the face of the planet unless they happen to come in with a good value then they're super <laughs> smart uh, but uh, you know I suppose you have to deal with that you know it's it's an industry where you know sometimes uh, you have to give bad news yeah, if you come in with the – if you bring an appraisal at sale price and there's no work orders, then obviously as a realtor, that's a very good appraisal. Absolutely. Um, it's perfect. <laughs> if you if you miss the sale price on some, and you're, you're below the sale price and you have lots of work orders, then, well, then that's a bad appraisal, obviously. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, I guess that's just sort of human nature on that. Clark, tell us a little bit about your background. I know we go, we go way back. Yeah, I've been appraising for about 26 years, and about half of that I've been – acting as an independent fee appraiser, working for myself, contracting mm-hmm. to lenders and others. Uh, and the other half of that has been primarily acting as an uh, appraisal reviewer for a few years and mm-hmm. then an appraisal manager, managing uh, independent fee appraiser contractors that are engaged by the bank for for lending appraisal services. Got it. And, and just so our, our listeners understand, you know, a, a, a few years ago, part of the whole Dodd-Frank legislation, I believe, uh, was a law passed the appraiser independence uh, law that basically built a wall whereas a loan officer it's illegal for me to speak with an appraiser it's illegal for a bank to influence the, the decision you're going to go appraiser. to jail son right that's right you know <laughs> we, we just don't want to don't want to go there and and a lot of a lot of lenders a lot of banks especially um, spun off their whole appraisal departments and they have we call them what amcs appraisal management corporations or companies that sort of handle that process of ordering the appraisal and hiring the appraiser engaging the appraiser but are are, aren't most appraisers out there right now independent they're self-employed yeah almost all of them that are doing lending work don't work for financial institutions at all 
Yeah. They they either work for appraisal management companies or AMCs, or they work with direct engagement lenders. Got it. Got it. Now, Home Street's a little bit different in that regard, right? Yeah, we are a direct engagement lender, and we have an in-house appraisal department that maintains that appraiser independence function. Right. Uh, so inside the bank, I still can't talk to the appraiser, but you can. So yes. so. So basically, we kind of set up this sort of, you know, I whisper in your ear, "Hey, this guy's a knucklehead, and <laughs> and you got to fix this." And then you talk to the, to the appraiser, and you filter everything that I said into kind, polite, politically <laughs> correct words, and uh, and kind of goes like that, right? Yeah, and sometimes Eric, when you think they're a knucklehead, I think they're really good at what they do. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've I've sort of noticed that. Yeah. Yeah, that that doesn't always go my way, but you know we still have to we still have to try. <laughs> so no doubt. So so Clark, uh, the the appraisal process right now, um, and, and Marissa was was alluding to this before our break. It's taking a long time to get appraisal reports back right now, and uh, and and we know there's you know there's some some definite reasons for that. But can you kind of expand on that? What's going on with with the shortage of appraisers? Sure. What it really comes down to is supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really hard to fight those laws of supply and demand. But let me give you a little background on, on what's taken place over the last 30 years. You know, and I'll be real, very brief. I won't go into too much <laughs> detail, as, as fascinating as it might be. Um, in response to the savings and loan failures in the late 80s, mm-hmm. FIREA was introduced to federal banking regula- uh, legislation that said that appraisers had to take courses and they had to become licensed and they set up uh, a mechanism to license appraisers and, you know, allow, allow for licensing and certification of appraisers so that we this, in theory, wouldn't happen again because they didn't want the influence of, you know, values that were too high or inflated. And so as a result of that, the, there are some barriers to entry for the appraisers that up, make it difficult to become an appraiser. Mm-hmm. So right now you need a college degree to become an appraiser, whereas 30 years ago you didn't. Um, you have to have, for example, you have to have, I think, 3,000 hours of, of uh, experience, which means you have to go to work for somebody for 3,000 hours. and couple you also years, have to have, right? Yeah, it's a couple years. And then you also have to have some additional educational uh, requirements met in addition to a college degree having to do with appraisal classes and, and, uh, and market influences and things like that. So by the time someone gets a college degree and goes through this, what becomes an indentured servitude working on a small percentage basis of the total fee and covering all of their own expenses, it becomes undesirable as a profession to enter when you have a college degree. So that's some of the barriers to entry on that side. So what's happening is the appraiser population is aging at an increasing rate. So the average age of an appraiser now is about 60 years old. They're dying and retiring is, you know, Every day. Faster than I, they can be replaced. And nobody is replacing them, and there's yeah. nobody in line to replace them. So you have a shrinking supply of appraisers in a high refinance market where there, all of those loans need appraisals and a, a really robust set purchase and sale market. Uh, and so that has kind of created this perfect storm. And, and, for example, in Oregon, if I'm in Portland, my turn time on a purchase appraisal is six weeks. Wow. And yeah. that's in a metropolitan area and you know, in the US. And if I get to eastern Oregon or eastern Washington, I could be sitting on eight weeks to get an appraisal back. So if you're a realtor riding in a, a you know, thirty or forty five day close 
and you've got an eight-week turn time, something's not going to fit with work. that. Right? Right. So right. it causes all kinds of problems. And this is something that's outside of the control uh, most of the time of, of the lender. And uh, the, only, the only leverage that we have is what? Pay a rush fee, right? Pay a rush fee. The problem is, is that this has been going on in the Seattle area for a couple of years now. Yeah. And the appraisers are very burned out and very tired, and they're not really interested in the new business or the money at this point because what they don't have is time, and you want to eat into more of their time or put something in front of the one that they already have. Well, and, and to add on to the top of that, um, talk a little bit about just the complexity of an appraisal report, how that's changed over the last few years as well. Well, 10 years ago, you could write an appraisal report, and you would put in three comparable sales with three photos, no interior photos, and your comments addendum might be two pages long. Um, since then, they've added a whole new one-page form that requires usually some linear regression analysis. <laughs> um, it requires additional commentary, and it's got to match what the rest of your appraisal says. Now you have to have at least four closed sales and usually two pendings or listings along with the analysis and the commentary associated with that and all of the photos associated with that. And you have to have interior photos of virtually every room and everything that adds or detracts from value. Uh, and then a bunch of other exhibits like maps. And, and, and most appraisers now will include some sort of regression analysis or uh, analytics associated with how they derive their adjustments. And the fee up until a year ago was about the same as it was 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, no, no real difference. I mean, the cost is... is not changed all that much. I mean, I know our cost right now is about $600 for a standard appraisal. And, and, that's, that, and that's, that's up considerably from, you know, last year mm -hmm. it's about a 25% increase over mm -hmm. over last year. But it's the right. first increase that appraisers have had in fundamentally 20 right. years. Right, we went from 500 to 600 yeah. And uh, And that uh, typical appraisal report is about... 20 pages? Oh, it's 35 to 45 Or maybe even more than that now. at yeah. this point. Yeah. yeah, all legal legal length. Yeah. And uh, and when you're talking about the analysis, the regression analysis, um, let, let's talk a little bit about, about that because, uh, you know, an appraiser has to find comparable sales. So these are homes that have to be similar enough in size, age, style, square footage, number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, you know, view amenities, location, all of that. And they're falling off trees, aren't they, yep. Eric? That, that, that have recently sold right. uh, and, and within a specific geographic area. And, and no two homes are alike. So an appraiser has to first find these. So it used to be three, now it's four, five, six. And then they have to, to make adjustments because no two homes are alike. And, and it's where those adjustments come in that can really lead to, um, you know, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, real estate agents, you know, popping blood vessels. <laughs> so have I got that right? You do have it right. And, and fundamentally, I think realtors oftentimes look at, at a, a home very differently than an appraiser does. And I don't know that one is necessarily more correct or one is right or one is wrong. But I know oftentimes realtors look at homes, particularly if they're in a very defined neighborhood is they'll look at homes on based on a dollar per square foot basis, mm -hmm. right? So one and a half story homes in Fremont sell for, you know, X dollars a square foot. And so if it's a little better, you can raise that up. And if it's in lesser condition, you'd lower that down. But fundamentally, it's based on a dollar per square foot. Uh, and appraisers report that in every appraisal, but they never consider it. They look at other things like size, condition, style, utility, bedroom, bathroom count, those kind of things, and then make individual adjustments for the differences in amenities, whether it's positive or negative. 
Yeah, it makes it makes it it's it's much more complicated than than just simply one one calculation dollar per square foot. And on a purchase transaction, the appraiser sees the purchase and sale agreement. So on a purchase transaction, the appraiser knows what your home is being sold for. But on a refinance, let's say you're refinancing your home, there's no purchase and sale agreement. So that's where we see some some big variations or differences between what an appraiser thinks the home might be worth and what the homeowner might think the home is worth. And uh, and I can guarantee you in a in a refinance transaction, there's only one person, you know, around that thinks the home is worth more than the homeowner, and that's the tax assessor, you know, in many cases. Uh, but uh, so so with a with a refinance uh, though, it's is is it the same analysis? It should be fundamentally the same analysis. Yeah. Um, and and fundamentally it should be essentially the same value there is the this perception in the market that it's not always the same it isn't always going to be the same that the appraisers always shoot for the sale price and they don't have anything to shoot for in the refinance transaction and the reality is that's not the case if the appraisers doing their job and doing it well got it got it well this this makes um you know perfect sense and it's it's um you know, unfortunately, sometimes we see the the frustration to come out with that because we we have, um, you know, we have uh, our our idea of what the home is worth, and then we have, uh, you know, what the appraiser's idea of what the home is worth, and those two don't always, uh, you know, sort of sort of sync up. Every now and then, we get some nice surprises as well, especially with our market now, where it's it's, you know, been so strong. And uh, but um, you know, I've got a few more questions about this, and and uh, we're going to be coming into a break here real quick. Um, when we come back, uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about about how those those values are, are derived, and uh, more on the on the shortages. If you've got questions for us uh, too, or for for Clark, our appraiser, give us a call 866-712-1300. Stay tuned for more at Open House with Team Reba. Got a question? Call it in 866-712-1300. Now, back to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Eric Osnes from Home Street Bank. And I'm Marissa Kleiss of Team Reba, Remax Metro East Side. And we have Clark Dixon with Home Street Bank with us. And, and Clark is uh, the guru in our appraisal department. And um, I'm so happy that uh, we get to work together, Clark. I, I really got to say that. You know, there's I've done some tours with some, some very large banks and... Uh, and and you know a lot of the times the appraisal departments in those banks are are uncaring. You know it's very difficult to talk with and and uh, and really work on solutions. And and that's the one thing I sure have to give kudos to to you and your team. Um, so responsive. You know when we have questions or concerns about things. Um, you know it, it really really um, helps to have a, a group that's caring. So thank you for that. And uh, no, I really mean that. Marissa's laughing at me, but no, that's no it's great. really true. <laughs> Thank so you. It is definitely a team effort. It, it, it's it's and it's a it's the best appraisal team I've ever worked with. If that sounds shamelessly plugging something, but it is. <laughs> now they're good people. And, you know, love and, fest going on here. I know. I know. <laughs> so Clark, let's. Uh, we were during the break. We were talking just a little bit of, about um, sort of an assessed value versus a, an appraisal value. Uh, a lot of consumers, homeowners out there, will will look at their tax assessed value and think, well, that's pretty accurate. 
indication of, of what their home is worth. Um, care to comment on that? I can. Uh, Marissa, <laughs> Marissa mentioned earlier that, you know, prices were up 14% over last year. So if you're looking at an, a, an assessor who may have looked at your home in early 2015 right. to give you a 2016 assessment and you're looking at a market value at the end of 2016, it could be two years of that mm-hmm. kind of appreciation that you're looking at that your assessed value differential may come through. The assessor only looks at a home ever, periodically, so they don't see it every year. Mm-hmm. Um, they also use mathematical models, which mathematical models are great if you have uh, homogeneous data, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, if you're in Southern California in a 350-unit subdivision, and the difference in one home to the next is whether you want a coral roof or a deep coral roof, (laughs) you know, then you can say, hey, you know, the the assessed value is probably relevant, you know, if you've got some some transactions from the past year. In the Northwest, we don't have that. We've had uh, neighborhoods that have built up over decades at a time with builders that might build three or four or five homes at a time, and you can go into any neighborhood in Seattle or a lot of neighborhoods on the east side, and they're going to be heterogeneous, to use a highly technical term. Right, right. Uh, you know, so they're not going to be the same, right? And mm-hmm. so if you have a 90-year-old home, you can have any stage of condition inside, and the assessor won't know because it's been four years since they saw your home. That's right. So I don't know. that I, as, as, as much as they try to match market value with assessed value, I think they have a very difficult job, and it becomes very, very difficult to try and do that with the heterogeneous housing stock that we have in the Pacific Northwest. Got it, got it. So the other, the other big tool out there for a homeowner to, to figure out what their home is worth is the Z word, uh, Zillow. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I have a very, you know, sort of seat-of-the-pants tracking of, of Zillow values versus what I see an appraisal value come in at. And, and sometimes they're, they're spot on, and other times they're, it's not even close. So how, how does a consumer use that as a tool? Cautiously. Yeah, I would yeah. agree. I, I, I think in large part what we have in the Northwest is fairly unique, and that's called a basement. And so <laughs> when you have a basement, sometimes the realtor includes it in the above-grade gross living area, mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't, and the counties don't at all. So Zillow is dependent upon the, uh, the assessor for gross living area. It might have a full walkout or daylight basement that's finished to the exact same quality as the main home, but it's not covered in mm-hmm. your estimate. Um, and in other cases, they may be going off of the realtor square footage, which has included that, mm-hmm. but it's a completely unfinished basement that doesn't really contribute. It only cons- contributes a small percentage Right. of the overall gross living area contribution value. So it's it's oftentimes Zillow's at the at the mercy of the data. And when the data's not good or the data's not consistent, then mm-hmm. it makes it very difficult on Zillow or any other mathematical model or uh, automated value model that you're trying to determine a market value with 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 bad data or inconsistent data. Absolutely. And I've noticed so a homeowner can actually Go to Zillow and update or correct information on their home. So if that's something that you're interested in and even tracking it yourself, you can do that and, and update it. Uh, but but that's a really good point that you brought up, though, Clark, because and, – and I hear this argument um, quite, a, quite often. If you have a basement or anything that's below grade, 
Uh, an appraiser is not going to assign the same value for bedrooms or bathrooms below grade as they are for bedrooms or bathrooms above grade. Is that correct? Many won't. Um, okay. You know, if I'm going to sit down over coffee and I'm going to have an argument with an appraiser about a basement, oftentimes I'm going to speak to them about how come a how come a bedroom above grade is worth five thousand or ten thousand dollars, all other things equal, and below grade it's worth nothing. Mm-hmm. So does the market really react that way? Or is that a way that you've been taught? Or is that the expectation that you've artificially placed in the appraisal process? So, I mean, there are some things that we as a, an industry can get better at, and that's really reflecting more how the market reacts to things as opposed to not giving credit for a bedroom because that's the way we were taught to do it or that's the way we've always done it and not stepping off of that. Got it. And when you say the market – so is is the view uh, of an appraiser supposed to be, this is what I always understood, that I'm a cash buyer, I've got X amount of cash, and I'm looking at home A or home B, and assuming you know the, you know, the differences between them, how much am I willing to pay? So am I going to pay more for the home A that has four bedrooms and they're all upstairs, or am I going to pay the same amount for home B that has four bedrooms, two of them are upstairs, and two of them are in the basement? Depends on if you have teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> or, or a mother-in-law or something or like that. Or a mother-in-law. Right. I didn't yeah. want to go yeah. down there. I love my mother-in-law. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, got it, got it. And, okay, well, this this all this all makes good sense. And, and, and so uh, – so for a, for a typical homeowner, I mean, these are questions that are going to be way outside of their, their pay grade. You know, and, and, and somebody's they're thinking of, of putting their home on the market or thinking of refinancing it. And, and you, know, you know, we're saying, well, what, what do you figure the home is worth or what do I list this home for? I mean, they're going to rely on the expertise of their, their real estate agent to, to kind mm-hmm. of guide them and, and set, the, set an appropriate price. Um, but there's also some things that that a homeowner can do. Let's say that they're just going to do start an appraisal, uh, start a refinance, lock your rate in now, folks, and uh, and and we know we're going to need an appraisal for that. What are some tips uh, that that you would give for somebody if they're either thinking of refinancing or maybe putting their home on the market? You know that that a homeowner can can do to he, either help prep their home for appraisal or even guide their realtor. To do the right things. Yeah, I was going to say you could. You, this would apply to a homeowner or a realtor. I think they're they're easily the same mm-hmm. in trying to to get the best value for your home. I think there's five things that you can do, and the first thing is is to make sure that you meet the appraiser, whether you're the realtor or the homeowner. Make sure you meet the appraiser at the appraisal inspection, mm-hmm. and and that ensures that they're not there unsupervised. And I say that tongue in cheek <laughs> because. You you want the opportunity to give them as much good information about that property as possible, mm-hmm. right? Um, if they're left to their own devices, then they have to guess at times. So, for example, a realtor – I'm sorry, the appraiser drives up to property and looks at a home, and, and he or she says to themselves, wow, that home is in really good condition. Mm-hmm. It's got a newer roof, and it's got newer paint on the outside, and then land, landscaping is very nice. They go into the home, they look at the kitchen, they say, wow, the kitchen's been remodeled, it looks really good, the bathrooms are in great shape, the flooring looks really nice, and oh, by the way, I've got to check to make sure that the hot water tank is double-strapped, so I'm going to open the door to the hot water tank, and yep, it's double-strapped, close the door, good, I've got all the information I need. Mm -hmm. That's a lot different than if you're the homeowner or the realtor, and you've got a one-page summary that says the roof is one-year-old. And the hot water tank is six months old. And mm-hmm. the kitchen was remodeled last year. And the ex- exterior paint is brand new. And the roof is three years old. That is factual information that has an influence 
now on what the appraiser thinks about this home. And maybe now it goes from being in good condition to very good condition in the appraiser's head. And you've had an influence on the appraiser without undue influence because you provided factual data about what's going on specifically in that home. Got it. And Got if, it. if you're a realtor, and you, so you, first of all, you're going to meet the, the appraiser, then you're going to provide this information in a one-page summary, make it easy on the appraiser, <laughs> keep it summarized and easy. Um, Twelve-page dissertations are not something that's going to help your Kiss. cause. Keep it right? simple, keep stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. So yeah. if you can then provide one or two or three really good comparable sales from the neighborhood, not the current market analysis that you did for the seller because the appraiser's eyes are going to gloss over and think, wow, (laughs) 40 pages of bar charts and pie charts and colored glossy photos, that's terrific, but I don't have time. Yeah. So, But if you give them two or three sales that are selected because they're really good comparable sales and not chosen for a price point, right? Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, realtors will try and choose a comp because it's a certain price point and they want the appraiser leaning that direction. But if it's not a comparable or substitutable sale, then the appraiser says, well, I'm probably not going to even consider it because it's not a comp. Yep. And so your efforts are wasted. Um, the other thing that you can do, and this is this is really important, and it's something that is it, I rarely see it in, in, my, in my career as an appraiser, and that is if you're the realtor and you've gone on tour or you've shown this particular home uh, to somebody, you've been inside that home. You have an advantage over the appraiser who doesn't go on tour. And they, they look, take a look at a side-by-side listing and one selling for 650 and the other selling for 600 and they look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So what's the value? Well, the value is six and a quarter, isn't it? Because the appraiser <laughs> isn't going to risk things because he or she doesn't know what the differential is. But if you provide a copy of that listing to the appraiser and it factually says this one has very strong pet odors, Mm-hmm. Right, and so there's some fifty thousand dollar market resistance to that pet odor. It's not in there because the realtor doesn't put the listing in there. And say, you know, if you really love pet odors, you've got to get down <laughs> to see this one because yeah. this one really stinks. It's too bad we don't have smellovision on some of our <laughs> listings. Yeah, right. So I mean, so so you know, show up, uh, bring a copy of the contract to confirm the sale price with the appraiser, because oftentimes the only thing they have is the contract if they're sent the wrong contract. So if they're sent the wrong contract. Then and they're off by ten thousand dollars. The appraiser thinks that's the contract, and both prices could be in the range. And the appraiser is going to reconcile to the sell price because that's a reasonable expectation for market value. So show up, confirm the sale with the contract with the appraiser. Mm-hmm. Bring two or three really good comps. Have a summary sheet of what makes that house special, unique, better, different than the others, and then that one or two sales that. You know, the the floor plan's chopped up. It doesn't look right. It smells funny. And there's some market resistance. And those are the five things I would suggest any homeowner realtor. Nobody wants to buy a smelly home. <laughs> Stay tuned. When we come back, we've got more with Clark Dixon uh, talking appraisals today on Open House with Team Reba. Open House has open phone lines. Give us a call at 866-712-1300. Now, back to Open House with Team Reba. Welcome back to Open House with Team Reba. I'm Marissa Kleist of Team Reba Remax Metro Eastside. And I'm Eric Austin from Home Street Bank Home Mortgage. 
So yeah. we had, yeah, we had some interesting talk over the break, and uh, I think we wanted to hear some of Eric's horror stories about uh, appraisals. Maybe something to do with some pigs. Oh man, you know, I, I wish I could broadcast some photos over the, you know, over the radio here, but um, uh, we we had um, uh, some photos from an appraiser about a year ago. And uh, and uh, I, I got these. This was on a property that we were looking at. It was a refinance. And uh, the outside of the home had a what looked like a wheelchair ramp leading up to the, the kitchen. So we're thinking, oh, okay, well, maybe the, you know, the, one of the owners is disabled. Um, but it was leading up from the backyard, which, which you know, you think of a backyard with a nice lawn and landscaping. This was just mud. You know, it was pure mud. And there was an owner that was standing out there, and, and the owner had a he had a fur hat on, and he had a red flannel shirt on, and big wellies, you know, muck mm-hmm. boots on, oh, yeah. and uh, and so we're thinking, well, he wasn't disabled, so so I'm thinking, okay, what's going on with this house? And uh, and the house looked a little rough, I'll be honest, from the outside, uh, you know, it had, it had you know definitely had a little bit of maybe deferred maintenance. So if you went up the ramp. And uh, from the outside, you went into the kitchen. The first thing that I noticed is there over the where there'd normally be like a, a kitchen lamp over a, a kitchen island. There's there's a mobile of a giant pig kind of just spinning, you know, on this on this uh, on this mobile over the kitchen island. And below the kitchen island was a crate, like an animal crate. And in the crate is a dog. And the dog's sitting in the crate with this look on his face, like you know, get me out of here. But in hindsight, it was more like, I'm glad I'm in here. Because also in the kitchen were three extremely large, full-grown hogs. I'm oh not talking God. about little baby, you Cute know, pot-bellied pigs. No, 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 no. No, these are your, you know, your five or six or 700 pounders. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And uh, and so the dog is like, yeah, I'm not going out there. There's pigs out there. And, and uh, but, and uh, so... <laughs> This, uh, this, uh, this, uh, okay, Clark, just between you and me and the fence post, this appraiser, uh, you know, I, I know, and, and, uh, he wasn't su- probably supposed to communicate directly to me, but he, I got the email that said, some people just live like pigs. <laughs> <laughs> so, needless to say, uh, mm-hmm. we were not able to complete, uh, that loan mm-hmm. transaction. That house had some, some issues, you know, far beyond the, the, Deferred maintenance. the, the, the animals inside of it. Um, but, <laughs> But not every house that you know that that we send appraisers out to are quite like that, Clark. And and uh, but some houses, I guess, no no home is is necessarily perfect. So, are there some tips for a homeowner of things that they should pay attention to before the appraiser comes out? I get the question all the time: Do I should I vacuum? Should I clean it up? You know, what's the best? What are some tips for a homeowner? Everybody gets one chance to make a first impression, <laughs> and and it lasts. So if the home is picked up and cleaned up, you know, sometimes you don't have a lot of time to do it, but anything you can do to kind of straighten things up and make it tidy and always assist because it's a first impression. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've walked into some homes where people told me they didn't have time to clean up, but it would have taken a year. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that jokingly. You couldn't have cleaned this house in a year Yeah, uh, yeah. as a homeowner. So, you know, everybody has their own idea of what it, it sure. means to, to live in a, a, a clean way, and some, some standards don't match up. Um, and, and, and there's no other way to put it. But tidy up, clean up, vacuum, you know, 
put do the dishes, you know, stuff like that, get things put away and, and make it tidy. That that'll help an awful lot. Got it, got it. Now there are some 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 state requirements right now. So one is carbon monoxide detectors, correct? Right. Okay. So what what is the rule on that? Um, I don't know the exact rule. I mean, I okay. did at one time, but but yeah. if it's a purchase transaction, then it, it has to have a carbon monoxide on each floor uh, on each floor, right? Detector, and it can be something as simple is going to Home Depot and spending a few dollars and plugging it into the wall. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So there isn't anything that says it has to be a permanent fixture. It can be something as simple as plugged into a wall. So, you know, there are lenders that are going to make the lack of carbon monoxide detectors a work order. Mm-hmm. So save the time and the hassle and the $125 mm-hmm. if you're a realtor or a homeowner and go out and buy it and plug it in. Yeah. Because all the appraisers are going to do is take a photo and say, yes, it's here. And then you don't have to have another trip and schedule somebody to come out and waste time in closing your loan and those kinds of things. Got it. Got it. And then what about uh, – so I, and I know earthquake, earthquake straps are, are an issue as well. On the hot water tank. Make sure that your mm-hmm. uh, hot water tank is, is double strapped and they need to be – so far off the bottom and so far off of the top. So don't put them at the very top and the very bottom because it won't it won't meet code. And you can go Google something and then say, you know, what are the requirements for earthquake strapping in California? There's going to be a whole lot more in California than Washington, mm-hmm. but we're all in an earthquake zone and it's all the same standard. Right. Good reminder this weekend. I mean, we had, you know, the New Zealand had a massive, massive earthquake. And, and uh, you know, every now and then, you know, of course, we had the big Nisqually quake here in, what, 2001. And uh, a lot of chimneys fell over. Mm-hmm. A lot of hot water tanks, uh, you know, might have fallen over. So, you know, it's it's definitely something that we have to be be aware of. What, what are some, uh, you know, if, if um, you know, I, we get this question all the time, maybe the home is a fixer. Let's call it a fixer. So this is a home someone's thinking of buying. It uh, the carpet is the orange shag. You know, it's been in there. Burnt since, orange is the official yeah, term. Exactly, it's <laughs> yeah. been in there since you know Jimmy Carter was was president. And uh, the countertops are, are tile. Maybe some of the tiles are cracked. They've Harvest been, gold. Yep, they've been in there since Ronald Reagan was president. And uh, and you've got uh, you know the 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 blue toilet fixtures. Those have been there since what Eisenhower. Probably or or Kennedy, maybe Kennedy. Yeah. Okay, okay. We'll In give that you, era, we'll give you Kennedy. Uh, so, so are these things that are going to stop an appraisal? No, because if they're functional and they're market acceptable, and would be considered on some level average, and that can include average minus, mm-hmm. then it's not going to prevent the appraiser from appraising something. If the carpet's in really terrible shape, take it out mm-hmm. because it's not required by the secondary market just needs to be in marketable shape. So if the rest of the house is in average plus condition and you don't have flooring, it's not an issue for to, to garner a loan or do the appraisal. Okay. So flooring is not a requirement. So yeah. you're, you may it may be to your betterment to take out that harvest gold carpet mm-hmm. and, and rather than leave it in, particularly if there's a bunch of uh, tobacco stains and you know other uh, other uh, sundry types stains, of stains yeah, right in the carpet that, that we might see. But make yeah. sure and leave the blue toilet. The blue toilet, I believe, is going to make a comeback this year. <laughs> we're, we're we're optimistic about that. Yeah, you just you just never know. It might be right in there with the pink toilet, but could be might might be a little bit behind the pink toilet. So uh, now let's talk about underneath the house crawl spaces. Especially we've gone through how many inches of rain here mm-hmm. over the last you know you know few weeks. Um, 
what does a homeowner need to be thinking about in their crawl space? Crawl spaces need to be fully vented. So when you close off the vents in your in your foundation thinking that you're going to keep things better, it's not. You want lots of cross ventilation under the home. You want to make sure that those vents are clear so that the cross ventilation can take place. And you want to make sure that there's a vapor barrier, usually it's visqueen or some heavy, thick plastic sheeting mm-hmm. that covers all of the bare dirt. Mm-hmm. And that will keep an awful lot of the moisture out of the underneath of your home, whether it's going to go into the insulation or the floor joists or the floorboards. It, you keep it away, particularly if there's good cross ventilation coming through that crawl space. Got it. Keep keep all the, you know, but keep it also closed up so you don't have the crawlies in there. If, if there's a debris in there, that's got to be out of there, right? Yeah, almost always mm-hmm. that's a big red flag for the appraiser, and, and mm-hmm. because they don't have expertise in that, then usually what they'll do is they'll call for a clear pest inspection where they now you have to have another inspector come out with another fee to do more work, whereas if you pulled the you know two-by-fours that you stuck under there for storage and they're no longer there because that is termite and, and powder post beetle food. It's just feed, um, yeah. Right, so just take it out of there and call it good, and I would never put it back in. Got it. And and appraisers will also look into your crawl or your your attic space, right? Don't they do it? FHA that? requires it, and we require mm-hmm. a photo. Okay, so head and shoulders type of a review. Mm-hmm. They're not going to crawl around up there. No, I hope not. Yeah, they just <laughs> pop their head up there and look around. Right. Hopefully, they're not going to see anything scurry off into the into you the. You don't want to see anything living running off. No, that's never <laughs> never a, never a good thing. <laughs> well, well, Clark. I, I, I uh, sure appreciate you coming in today. It's been just a wealth of knowledge and information, and we so appreciate having you uh, here today and on our team at Home Street. And for us and Marissa, thank yeah, you again. thank you so much, Clark. Thanks Join us me. all next week, every Tuesday at 3 o'clock, for more with Open House with Team Reba. Have a great week, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Open House with Team Reba. To contact us, visit Team Reba at re slash Max Metro Eastside on Facebook or email info at teamreba.com. Join us again next Tuesday at 3 for more Open House with Team Reba here on Business Radio 1300 KKOL. Program sponsored by Team Reba of Remax Metro Eastside and Eric Osnes of Home Street Bank Home Mortgage.